You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. There's Dale, okay. No, now we can start. We're waiting for Dale. Yeah. Okay. Alright, since Dale's here, let's pray and we'll get started. Father, again, thankful for your word. We're thankful for this passage. It's a um, tremendous passage. It's a, a difficult one, a, a demanding one. I pray, Lord, that you would be glorified through your word this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, just uh, by way of review, quickly, we, we looked at Acts 20 last time. I think that's all we looked at, was Acts 20. Yeah, part of Acts 20 last time. And we saw the role of the elder is to shepherd the flock of God, which he purchased with his own blood, protect the flock from false doctrine and its purveyors, to be diligent in prayer and in the word, to be hardworking, unselfish, and to have a, a heart for the flock. And I, I got to thinking about uh, part of this. So we talked a little bit about the savage wolves. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And, um, and from among you, your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. That was uh, Acts 20, verse 29 and 30. So I, I ha- happened to get the uh, CBD catalog. You guys get the CBD catalog? I like the CBD catalog. There's a lot of good stuff in it. There's a lot of other stuff in it, too. So I thought, well, I'll just kind of quickly go through it and just show you some of the sorts of things that we need to be alert about okay, that are in the Christian book catalog. So I thought, well, I'll just go through and I'll just mark a few. And then I ran out of these tabby things. First page here. Inside cover, Jesus wants to save Christians. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure he does not. Uh, Rob Bell and Don Golden. Pretty much if you hear the words Rob followed by the word Bell, that's uh, probably not something that you know is going to be real edifying. This one I'm not sure about. I'm guessing I don't know this guy and I don't even know how to say his first name, Gentizen Franklin. Ever heard of that? No? Good. Uh, basically, he says, God has given you a dream and you are to pursue it, and here's how you do that. Um, maybe, I don't know, again, I haven't read that, but it's just one of those that sounds like a name it and claim it type of book. Uh, the Journey in NIV is a Bible. It it says, give seekers the Bible that's easy to understand and relevant to real life. So I think by seekers they mean unbelievers who are seeking God. So what would the circulation of this Bible be according to Scripture? There are none who seek after God, right? It might be okay, I don't know. You can read it if you want. It's a Bible. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> I guess uh, I guess they I guess they don't I guess they don't speak to uh, seekers. I, I don't know. Uh, this is a whole section by 
John and Stacy, I think it is, Eldridge. And I won't go into this too much. There will be uh, some book reviews to come. Jim is working on a book review of Walking with God, and it's about conversational intimacy with Christ. And so I'll, I'll let you read that later on. It uh, has to do with the same sort of things that, that uh, Jim has published a few letters on about hearing the voice of God, the nudges, the, all of that. On the next page, this is kind of interesting. It happened to be on the same page here and here. So now I'm not hitting this anymore. I decided I would hit this a few times. 23 minutes in hell. What does an eternity in torment look like and how can it be avoided? God allowed Weiss, Weiss, I don't know how to say his name, to spend time in the devil's lair and now he shares what he saw, heard, and felt. It includes hundreds of scriptures that verify hell's horrors plus answers to commonly asked questions about demons, children, pain, and more. I'm glad there's a book that emphasizes the reality of hell, but he didn't go there. On the same page as 23 minutes in hell is 90 minutes in heaven. I'm glad it's 90 minutes in heaven and only 23 minutes in hell. That's a good good thing. Uh, Don Piper with Cecil Murphy. Don Piper, not John Piper, just to be clear. Uh, after a devastating car accident, Piper, a Baptist pastor, is pronounced dead at the scene. During the next 90 minutes, he remembers hearing beautiful music, meeting those who'd had a spiritual impact on his life, and experiencing deep peace until he suddenly brought back to real life through another minister's prayer. An amazing true story. Keep going. What do we got here? A uh, whole section devoted to Rob Bell. Remember those two words I mentioned earlier? <laughs> right. Rob Bell. Uh, I won't even read you the title of one of these books. It's disgusting. Uh, but I mentioned, I said Velvet Jesus last time. Velvet Elvis is his great book about rediscovering who Jesus is. and A yeah, whole new gospel, actually, for you there. There's actually even this... <coughs> I don't, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but this is the Numa series. This is the introduction to the Numa series by Rob Bell. When Jesus taught about life's toughest issues, he, he used short, simple stories. True? Yeah, he did. Rob Bell's modern parables on film follow his lead. <laughs> don't I still have Jesus stories? Do I need new ones? Right? That's, the, that's where we miss the point. You're not Jesus. Jesus, I have his words. I don't need yours. Your new ones. I'm starting to get irritated. So this is maybe a little better. Priscilla Shearer, he speaks to me, preparing to hear from God. Uh, Shows you how to simplify the process, really listen for his direction with real life examples and insights. Uh, How to be sensitive to spiritual guidance during times of prayer. Discerning the voice of God is just too... Two books. When you hear that still small voice, are you certain it's the Holy Spirit? <clears throat> She's going to tell you how to discern that. And if you need help with that, we have the Hebrew prayer shawl with the prayer of Jabez on it. So that will that will help you. And that is on sale now. It's only eighteen ninety nine. They have other prayer shawls. The flame of Pentecost is fifty four ninety nine. Yeah, that's the better one. Um, a whole section on the emergencing, emerging, emergencing, emerging in postmodern church. Um, 
I don't know what to say about that. Lord, save us from your followers is one of the books. They like Jesus, but not the church. Jesus loves the church. Gave his blood for the church. They better like the church. Um, I'm getting upset again. Stop it. <laughs> There's a whole church growth section. And that, I'm not saying that's heresy. There's, you know, there may be stuff that you can actually, I'm not, you know, I'm not calling all of that heresy, but again, as far as elders, that's not the emphasis that uh, we ought to have. We're to feed the flock, shepherd the flock. Okay, so that same idea. Maybe some heresy in some of those books. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> well, it's a catalog. Because it also has the MacArthur commentaries and it has, it has a lot of really good stuff in it. But you have to discern. Right? We Christians have to be discerning, even in you know, picking up something like this. Um, why men hate going to the church. I just think this is interesting. Why men hate going to the church. The whole movement about how church isn't right for men. It's too effeminate for men. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in touch with my female side, I guess. We're the most manly men of all time are men who are who are love to worship God. And everybody, I mean, you know that. I mean, whatever. Okay, we'll go on. This one is just kind of an oxymoron. Rick Warren's Bible study methods. I thought it was an oxymoron. It might be fine. I don't know. A whole section on Joel Osteen. And... One more section. Can't seem to find it. Uh, there's a bunch of books by T.D. Jakes. You know T.D. Jakes? Yeah. Uh, he's a he's a heretic. Uh, I mean, there's no way around that. He's a modalist. He teaches that God is in one form, and then God changes into another form, and then changes into another form. At some time, he's God the Father. Sometimes, he's God the Son. And sometimes, he's God the Holy Spirit. And that's a, that's a rank heresy about the character of God. So there's a lot of it in there, and we just have to be careful about using something like this. Now, there's a lot of really uh, like raised questions. There's a lot of really good stuff in here. You know, it's a good place to buy stuff. It's good books. You just have to be discerning. Okay. Anybody wants to copy that? They free to grab it. All right, so I introduced the question that we'll uh, address today, last week. Do you remember what that question was? <laughs> I wasn't here last week. Lanny, do you remember? Lanny's the, my favorite <laughs> student. There's a, there seems to be an absence of discussion of elders and eldership in, uh, see, I want to do that, I'm not doing that today. Elders and eldership in the church epistles, in Paul's church epistles. There's not very much in there about elders and eldership. And so, the question arises as to whether there really were elders in those churches when Paul wrote the letters. It seems like if there were, he would have said something to them. Right? That's the way we think. And I showed you a few passages that are in those letters. So there's, it's not that there's a complete absence of anything related to eldership, but the, 
the word is not used, the word elder. We have Philippians 1.1, which we've looked at, and I think we've got it right there. Talks about the overseers and deacons, and you know that overseers are elders, so that is in there. Uh, we've looked at Ephesians 4.11 a while back, and today we'll look at 1 Thessalonians 5, about uh, esteeming your leaders or those who have charge over you. So there's some reference to people who are functioning as elders, but very little. So the question was, why? Why is there so little reference to elders in Paul's epistles? And Thomas said, well, it's a given. And that's kind of what we're going to come to. That It is kind of a given, and it's not, it's not the main focus of Paul in these letters. So I'll show you just a few verses from three of these letters. So you can kind of get that idea. For those of you who weren't here last time, that Acts 20:28 that's up there, don't look at that because that is a perversion. It's a it's a false um, translation. It's the New World Translation, Jehovah's Witness translation. I was using that for last week, so that's what, kind of up there in the dark shaded part. So don't look at that. Uh, Galatians 6:1 and 2. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. So when someone is caught in a snare, caught in a sin, what are we supposed to do according to this? Hmm? Go to them. Go to them. So if I'm just going to use this random person as example, Thomas, where it's totally random. I was going to say somebody else. They might, they might get embarrassed. You don't embarrass. So let's say Thomas was caught in a sin, right? And you knew about it. You would go to Thomas, right? That's what the word teaches us here. Notice what it doesn't say. If someone's caught in a sin, you really should go tell the elders. Right? It doesn't say that. Okay, let's, uh, we're getting at it here. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians 5.11. So therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. Where are the elders in that? Don't need elders for that, do you? For that. You build one another up. We do that. Um Philippians 1.1, we just looked at Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. So who are these letters written to? Everybody, including the elders. Paul doesn't say, especially the overseers and deacons, or to the overseers and deacons, and maybe also, you know, some other people there in the church. It's to the saints. This is inspired writing from the Holy Spirit through Paul to all the saints. It's not a let, these aren't letters to elders. These are letters to Christians. It's letters to God's people. Right? Elders are not in some way you know, special spiritually that uh, we've got to address everything to them and then they'll disseminate it down to the people. We're a holy priesthood. Right? There's nobody between us and God. So the Holy Spirit writes to the believers. That's the reason why there's not much to elders, because it's not especially written to elders. It's written from the Holy Spirit through Paul to 
to all of us. We're to encourage one another. We're to strengthen one another to do all of those things. Okay. So why, and maybe it doesn't seem like this to you, but, but why do you think that that has bothered people? That there isn't much written to elders, that these are written directly to churches. Why do we kind of naturally think that there ought to be things here written to elders? Hmm? For sure. Preconceptions about what? Yeah, hierarchy. In First Timothy and Titus, first of all, back in Acts, yeah, that's a history of the church, so there is, of necessity, some direction there about elders and appointing elders, or what elders ought to do. Okay? In First Timothy and Titus, those are written to Timothy and Titus, who were supposed to go help the churches, and in part, in helping the churches, they're supposed to appoint elders. They have to understand the qualifications of elders. Those are the point of the letters. The point of the church epistles is not that. Okay? But we think that anything addressed to a church ought to be addressed to the elders. So we, we sometimes think that. Okay? That's a, a worldly mindset that we bring into the church, an American worldly mindset we bring into the church. We ought to have a CEO. Right? Every company needs a CEO, right? And shouldn't there be direction to the CEO? We don't have a CEO, a human CEO. We don't have somebody that's in charge of the church, right? apart from God himself. So God is, of course, within his rights to talk to each of us individually. He doesn't need to talk to elders or overseers or whatever you want to call them. He doesn't need to talk to some office. He can talk to us. So that's the point. So does it give you, uh, do you have any sort of theological confusion? Does, that, does the fact that there's so little written to elders give you any problem? Okay, then, then we can keep going. On to 1 Thessalonians. One of the passages that does have something to say about elders. 1 Thessalonians, we'll spend some time in that. Oh, yeah, we're going to look at First Thessalonians. First, I have to give you some background. I forgot that I had to do that. So, one moment, please. Before you turn to First Thessalonians, you can read Acts 17. That's nice. Put that big honking thing up there. Acts 17. And we're going to read the first ten verses of Acts 17. And it's pretty important because the background of the the Thessalonian church, when the first Thessalonians was written, is kind of interesting and it has a bearing on how you interpret those verses. Acts 17, the first ten verses. Now, when they had traveled through Amphipolis, Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures explaining, giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with a large number of the God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. But the Jews, becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar, and attacking the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring them out to the people. 
When they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some brethren before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have upset the world have come here also. And Jason has welcomed them, and they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying, There's another king, Jesus. They stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things, and when they had received a pledge from Jason and the others, they released them. The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. So that's the conversion in Thessalonica. How long were Paul and Silas there? I don't know. But what? We know for three Sabbaths only they were doing this reasoning with them in the temple according to the Scriptures, right? They didn't do that very long and they had a lot of success in the sense of lots of people coming to Christ. God was giving a lot of people uh, bring a lot of people to himself through the ministry of Paul and Silas there. Right? So suddenly there was a Christian church at Thessalonica. Now, it, it doesn't mean that immediately the next day they left. It could have been there for some months. Okay? But it's not a long time. There's not a long narrative of all the things that happened here. It's, it's not a long time that Paul and Silas are there. So they're there. They share the gospel. People come to Christ. They have a church. A group of Christians. And then Paul and Silas kicked out. All right? And then Paul and Silas go on to other cities. They arrive in Corinth. They get a report back from Timothy about what had happened at Thessalonica and how they were doing. And that's when Paul writes 1 Thessalonians. So it's only a few months after he had been there that he's writing to them. Very young church. Okay. This may have a bearing on why Paul doesn't call them elders when we look at First Thessalonians. He doesn't call them elders. Right? It's very unlikely. It's, it's, I shouldn't say that. There's no evidence that they had been recognized as elders. Or he probably would have called them elders. Right? But there, you're going to see that there are men who are functioning as elders. It's also very unlikely because of that that they were paid. They're probably not. Probably haven't gotten there by the time of the writing of First Thessalonians. So there are probably men who are functioning as elders, possibly recognized as potential elders by Paul and Silas when they were there, but probably not recognized as elders, you know, in some official capacity. They they wouldn't have done that, and probably not paid. Okay, so you'll see why that matters here. Okay, First Thessalonians chapter five. We're going to look at verses twelve and thirteen. And I put the three English translations that I think are probably pretty much the only ones represented here. And if you look up in, in uh, I want you to see all three of them so you can see, you can see that there's something that's a bit of a problem right up front. New American Standard says, but we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. The uh, NIV is a little bit different. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. And then the uh, King James said, we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. You see that there's a word that the translators are struggling with? 
to the first part of the verse. New American Standard, we request that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you. NIV, we, we ask you, brethren, to respect those who work hard among you. To have appreciate or respect, those are kind of close. King James, though, says, we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor, to know them which labor among you. So which is it? Uh, knowing is a little different than appreciating, and it's a little different than respecting. We're kind of having a struggle here, right? So how would you figure out what what the real, what the meaning is supposed to be? Yeah, when we say knowing, it's kind of maybe a little deeper when you say know a person, maybe a little deeper. So is that what it means? How do we figure these sorts of things out, generally? Ask Jim. <laughs> no, that's what I do. <laughs> Compare scriptures. You can look at Greek words, right? If you really want to know, yeah, you got to do some of that that digging, right? Maybe a commentary that you trust. Try to figure out exactly what this means. Are there any other passages or similar, or where else is that word used? Um, So I'll give you a a little bit of the word, and then another passage where a different word is used, but it's a real similar context. The, the Greek word is almost always translated to know or to understand. Even in these others that don't translate it that way here. Um, give you a couple examples. Titus 1.16 says they profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him. They profess to know God. So that's that know, that kind of deep knowledge. But in the context here, it doesn't really make sense to just say to know, does it? Let's look at it again. That you know those who diligently labor among you? I already know them. What is he telling me to do here? Maybe know them even a little bit deeper than I know Know them already, maybe. Uh, I went to 1 Corinthians 16. You can turn there if you want to. It's up to you. You have your Bible. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 15 through 18. Uh-huh. So maybe there's a sense there we're talking about, you know, knowing, really knowing them so that you can trust their teaching and their instruction. Could be. First uh, Corinthians 16:15 through 18. It says, "Now I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanas, that they were the first fruits of Achaia, and they have devoted themselves for ministry to the saints. That you also be in subjection to such men, and to everyone who helps in the work and labors." 
I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because then I don't know how to say those, but I'm saying them, because they have supplied what was lacking on your part. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours, therefore acknowledge such men. And that word acknowledge is not the same word as know in 1 Thessalonians 5.12. It's not the same, but the context is the same and the idea is the same. Paul uses a little bit different word, one that clearly does mean acknowledge or respect. It has the idea of knowing them, acknowledging them, knowing them in that way. Knowing them as people who are leaders over you. It, we would maybe say acknowledging. Okay? So it may have all of those meanings, okay? especially in light of the verses to come. Very clearly does mean to have a love, a respect, a deep knowledge for them. It also does have an idea of being in subjection to them. Okay? So back to 1 Thessalonians 5. So really, you know, times like these, it's good to actually look at the different translations. They all kind of add a little bit of an element that uh, helps you really understand the meaning a little bit better. So they're all good. All right. So, to know them who diligently labor among you is going to imply a certain amount of respect if they, in fact, are diligently laboring among you, right? So, that's what it's getting at. And then when we get to verse 13, you'll see that we are to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So, who are these people that we're to know and to esteem very highly? They're people that, that satisfy at least three criteria. Can you see them? We request you, brethren, that you appreciate those who do three things. One, diligently labor among you. Right? We talked about working hard. Elders have to work hard. We talked about that last time. Right? There is no role in eldership for a lazy man. If someone is lazy and is bringing you a message that they just figured out on the way over, they are not fit to be an elder. And you do not have to acknowledge such men. You have respect for the office, but you don't have to acknowledge. I would not acknowledge such a man as an elder. If he's not, in fact, functioning as an elder. That doesn't mean I would stand up and raise my hand and say, you, sir, you know, <laughs> nothing like that. But, yeah, I would want to approach that person, help, you know, try to talk through the thing. And then I couldn't sit under such a man. And I don't think that I necessarily have to. Now, notice that this is work among you. It says, appreciate those who diligently labor among you. It's not just somebody who works hard. It's someone who works hard among you. Now, I can work hard at Lighthouse, and that's that's great. That's honorable. That is something I ought to do before the Lord. It's something good. You can work hard in your job, and that's great. You work hard in your family. Of course, that's wonderful. That's not what it's talking about here. Right? It's talking about someone who diligently labors among you. Okay. And we said when we started this that a lot of this stuff doesn't just apply to elders, right? Diligently laboring among the body is something here that could be esteemed very highly. And yeah, it's talking about this role of eldership. We'll see that. But the, the general principle is still true, isn't it? Diligently laboring among the flock of God is something to be esteemed very highly in Scripture. Okay? So that means that sitting... We don't even have pews, so I can't say warm in a pew. Warm in a chair is not so highly esteemed. Right? 
there's plenty of scripture here that we could go to if you want. The parable of talents, you want, you could go to that. Do you have any talents at all? Do you have anything that God has given you? Can you breathe? Alright, that's a tremendous gift God has given you. Do you have a day, time? It's just something God has given you. You have to use it for His glory, for His sake. And I think you have to use it in those institutions that He's created and that He blessed the family and the church. So someone who says, well, yeah, I do serve the Lord. I am a Gideon. Love the Gideons. Great. I'm glad you serve the Lord and the Gideons. Amazing work. What are you doing in your church? Right? Diligently labor among you. Sure. Absolutely. All good. I don't have one bad word to say about anybody getting The point is, and, and I hope we're seeing this, there's a structure to the body. There's eldership. There's deacons, hopefully. There's a local church body. And that's the way, that's the New Testament pattern. That's the way God has determined that He wants to work. He wants to glorify His kingdom through that. Will He use a parachurch organization? Absolutely. But I don't think being involved in a parachurch organization excuses you from service in your local church. Was that rough to say that? Yes? <laughs> My father was a Gideon. Loved the Gideon. My first Bible was a Gideon Bible. Probably a lot of yours too if you came from an unbelieving home. Gideons are great. Did I say that often enough? It's true. Um, okay, the point I'm, again, the point I'm trying to make is every believer serving. And I remember I was a, a brand new Christian. I went to a church in Seattle, and the pastor comes over and he says, "We're going to do a little thing on spiritual gifts." Okay, don't know what those are. <laughs> so he comes over and we talk about spiritual gifts, and that's fine, you know, you know, spiritual gifts, encouraging and whatever the teaching spiritual gifts are. And he kind of goes through it and asks some questions, trying to figure out what your spiritual gifts are. And so at the end of it, he says, this, these may be your spiritual gifts. They may not be. We don't know. But let's, where do you see yourself serving? How, how do you, how are we going to exercise these gifts? So here he is. He's in my house and it's just Diane and I. And I'm a college student, graduate student, right? So I had my grandiose thing all memorized about how I was going to change the world with my vast knowledge of this or that. And he says, great, I mean in the church. I uh, hadn't thought about it. So how would you like to work with the youth? Okay. <laughs> Thank you, sir. You know. So, <laughs> and I've worked with youth since then. So it's 20, I don't know, long time ago. That's, that's great, isn't it? it? We need to be working in the local church. I don't know if the whole thing about trying to figure out your spiritual gifts with, you know, charts and graphs. He even had a screen that he brought over. <laughs> I don't know if that's any good, but... But the idea of you have some gifts, you have to use them. That's a, that's a great thing. And so here, what's being lauded is, again, diligent labor. And it really is, as we'll go through this diligent labor of a particular kind in this passage. So one thing that these men are required to do is diligently labor among you. second part is have charge over you in the Lord. 
Um, this is another kind of interesting thing. This thing is that's translated to have charge over you. Um, it's translated in Romans 12 as leads. That's the gift of leadership. Let him who leads lead well. I don't know. Didn't write that down. It's in 1 Timothy 3, as we'll see later on, is managing, managing your own household well. Uh, so that's the, that's the notion. It's clearly leadership, um, management, having charge over. Um, that's just what it means. Sometimes we want to maybe translate that away, like, well, it doesn't really mean that they're in charge over us. I mean, we're all Christians. And yet, we've said that a hundred million times. We are all Christians. We all answer directly to the Lord. But this is a role that these men have been placed into, to have charge over us in the Lord. It's there. So that's what he's talking about, people who do that. Now, it says in the Lord. What do you think in the Lord means in this context? I'm not real sure, so I'm really asking. I'll charge over you in the Lord. Why does he say in the Lord? Yeah, do you think that's it? I mean, that seems most likely to me. I'll charge over you in the Lord. Because it was very, very possible in those days that you could actually be a slave of someone, but actually be there spiritual leader, their elder. And so Paul had to keep track of this, you know, had to and it has a lot to say about those sorts of relationships. So that might be it. Probably it. Is there any other possibilities? It might just be again a just helping you to remember again that we're all we all are children of the Lord. The Lord is over all of us. So they are over you, but but in the Lord. So it's that sense. They're not just over you. So remember that it's the Lord that's in, that's really in, in charge here. So they are authority, the church leaders, and give you instruction. Mine says, and give you instruction. So they diligently labor among you, have charge over you in the Lord, and give you instruction. Uh, your translation might say admonish you. Say that. Admonish is probably pretty good there. We looked at the word admonish back in Acts 20. Remember that? Do you remember what the Greek word was for that? For admonish? This is just a test. It's totally random. Okay. I will give you one dollar. Wait. No, I won't. (laughs) I do have a 20 I'm not giving you that (laughs) unless you can make change remember nuthetic counseling we talked briefly about nuthetic counseling it's that word nuthateo nuthetic Um, same word so it's a negative word in, in the sense that it implies you know kind of correction or Rebuke, discipline a little bit. Um, I shouldn't even say a little bit. That's what it means. So it's talking about, so these are men who have to diligent labor among you, who have charge over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Okay? So they have to be willing to admonish you. When I first started looking at this and reading about this, immediately the first thought is, well, admonishment, 
admonition in like counseling, right? So when would someone, when would an elder or a church leader, when when should they admonish someone in counseling, in a counseling situation? What are what are the causes for that? Clearly, that's the most obvious, right? Someone's in sin. That's the most prevalent, most important, probably, that someone is in sin. Okay, so they would have to come alongside, correct, show you from the word. This is sin. This is needs to stop. Right? Where else besides being in sin? They need to admonish you. So maybe if it's not a sin issue, but there's something that could potentially become such an issue or just need to, you just need a, a gentle correction, right? What's that? Doctrine, yeah. Right, see, this whole Christian book thing? If I saw somebody reading a book, I'm not going to say any book here because somebody might be reading one of these, I don't want, but if if I find out that, that yo, I'm really getting into this, this Brian McLaren, he's really, he's cool, he's got a lot of great ideas. Um, we would need, yeah, we'd need to have some admonition, right? Need to show you why he's not so great and what the word says about it. Okay, so clearly that's part of admonition, and this is something that's to be esteemed, right? Something to be respected and esteemed, even though it's difficult and nobody likes it. Right? Nobody likes it. Do you like? Uh, Admonition and counseling, Seth? Do you like it? And that's the point of it, isn't it? restoring that relationship. And I've seen Jess do a lot of it. He's very good at it. Um, but I know that it's it's emotional and it's difficult. Right? But we need to respect and esteem people that are willing to do that. Now, so that's where you first go with that. But there's a there's another bigger part of admonition here. It's it's instruction here in the New American Standard. It's that either way whenever an elder is teaching there should be, there must be admonition involved, right? And that is apparent from our theology. Look, we're depraved sinners apart from Christ. We don't have anything to recommend us. Nothing. So when we are approached with the Word of God, it will certainly admonish us. The Word will admonish us. Because we don't come perfect. We don't come to church perfect. So when the word is shared with us, something in that is going to cut us to the quick if the person that is delivering the message of the lesson is in fact sharing from the word of God. It's going to admonish us. So you see where this gets to the whole church growth, secret friendly philosophy of ministry, the whole idea. Whenever the word is presented, whenever anything is done for you by somebody who's over, who is in charge of you, to charge over you in the Lord. Anybody who is bringing you something, some ad, it must be some admonition. Look, if, if I sit right there normally, if I sit over there when someone is 
preaching up here. And they're done preaching. And I get up to sing that last song. And I feel like, yeah, that was great. I had a few laughs. And uh, I was comfortable the whole time. And I, uh, I agree with all of that. And that's great. It was an unworthy effort. Okay? If I don't feel some discomfort, some cutting to the quick, something that I've got to change, some reproof that I've understood against me, something that I've got to make better, then it's a wasted effort. Right? Chris? Right. Right. Exactly. Maybe it doesn't touch everybody, right? But if, if it doesn't touch anybody, it's just a waste, right? So if, I, if, what I'm, if what I'm trying to do is make you feel good about yourself today, then I'm wasting my time, right? All I have to do is keep silent and you'll feel good about yourself. That's who we are, right? Um, affirmation of what? What do you mean? Yeah, that's, that's fine. What I'm getting at is if, if I'm going to serve my function as an elder, it is to open the Word of God to you. And maybe I should say almost always, it will have some, some admonition. I to, I've never read a passage of Scripture and not felt an, an admonition. So maybe that's, maybe, maybe you're not that way. I understand myself. You know, I, I know who I am apart from Christ. I can read, I'll go back to read Ephesians uh, chapter 4. You want to know who you are apart from Christ. That's who I am. I'm totally depraved. Apart from Christ, I would do anything for myself. That's who I am. And so when I read Scripture, any Scripture that I read does, it lifts me up, but it also admonishes. Yeah. Right. So there's a, yes, there's a so there's clarifying roles, there's encouragement in it, there's all of that in it. Um, but there's admonition. If if look here, we request you, brethren, you appreciate those who do what diligently labor among you, have charge over you, in the Lord, and give you instruction. And it's admonition, it's negative instruction that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. And this is their work. If there is no admonition in their work, 
doesn't fit. By the word itself. And of course, I mean, a faithful elder is doing nothing but that same thing, just opening up the word to you. So it's going to have the same, that same sort of impact. Okay. Uh, we will look at verse 13 next time. And then go on, uh, I think we'll start, hopefully start 1 Timothy and looking at the qualifications of elders. Okay? So let's pray and uh, we'll be done. Father, we're again thankful for your word and pray, Lord, that uh, we don't go beyond what is written. I never want to do that. And pray, Lord, that you would correct any wrong notions or, uh, you know, poor presentation or anything that occurs that uh, is not in keeping with the the perfection of your word. Uh, Pray that you would cause your word to have its way and to uh, have its uh, edification in, in each one that hears it in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.